Welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. This is your host, Doug Irwin. On today's episode of the podcast, I speak with Dr. Andrew Brandeis. Andrew is the co-founder and CEO of OK Capsule. OK Capsule is a private label supplement personalization company based here in Reno, Nevada. We discuss how Andrew got into the supplementation business, his views on the future of personalized supplementation, conscious leadership, Burning Man, Zen, building a amazing culture, and much more. It was a really amazing conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. So on with the podcast. Andrew, welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me, Doug. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to getting you on the podcast since we met uh, probably about a month ago at your office. Yeah, about that. Well, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background on you and your company? So I'm a naturopathic doctor. I had a urgent care practice in San Francisco in the mission a number of years ago. And we were a cash-based practice, which was unusual at the time, not accepting insurance. But it was a really good, thriving business. We did an excellent job of giving excellent care and the patient population was sort of willing to pay cash for that, just like they would hiring a plumber for your house, right? If you need some help, you just kind of pay for it. And, th- and that's what we did. And it was very successful, but I was in San Francisco and all my patients were entrepreneurs and investors. And I kind of got swept away with that. Not because it was new to me. I've always been an entrepreneur, but I was kind of in the heart of it. So it was, it was kind of hard to not get swept away. Yeah, it, it tends to do that in the Bay Area. It's sort of in the water there. Once you you know drink enough of the Bay Area water, you have to build a scaling company. It just seems like it's what it happens over there. Yep. So what got you into medicine? I mean, what was, was there an inspiration for your work? There was. When I was, I don't know, probably around like 10 or 12 years old, I met a guy who became my own kind of personal Mr. Miyagi. He was a karate instructor that we met in like a candy store of all places and we just kind of hit it off and he offered to teach me karate and I was, you know, young and skinny and I was like, all right, this sounds cool. But I was, I actually found that I was less interested in the physical stuff, more interested in like the philosophy and the lifestyle. And he introduced me to like healthy living and, you know, we would end up at a health food store somewhere and buy some stuff. And that was my intro into sort of like healthy behavior. And I ended up at 16 getting a job at this health food store, became the manager, learned everything I could about the supplements we were selling there. And then one day I kind of realized I was practicing medicine without an education or a license. You know, customers would come in and say, I've got X, Y, and Z going on. I'd say, I know exactly what you need. And at some point I realized that's just not good and I should go get an education. And that was how I got interested in, in medicine. Wow. When you started talking about Mr. Miyagi, I thought you were going to, it was going to be metaphorical, but it, you actually had like a Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. I've been very fortunate. Wow. That's amazing. And it, at such a young age, I mean, to have that experience, I mean, did you have any direct experience? I mean, with the supplements and the health, I mean, did you have a, it just resonate with you? I mean, obviously you were feeling great, living healthy. I don't know what it is. I've had it since then. I am extremely passionate about optimizing my own health and wellness, those around me. I don't know why, but to me, the appropriate use of supplements is powerful. You know, if you know how to wield these tools, you can get incredible results. And I think maybe because there's also this like hint of snake oil in this industry, it's the right confluence for me of like kind of rebellious and science and something really powerful and cool. And 
that all adds up for me to something that I'm just very passionate about. Yeah, no, obviously you can tell just in our, you know, our conversation. So, so you were a doctor in San Francisco. Did you, you know, leave that practice to start OK Capsule or was there another company that you started in between? There is another company before. So using supplements in a medical practice is a lot of kind of trial and error or some sales rep told me something or I heard about this thing there and I wanted to codify this system. So I created a collaborative medical reference called Share Practice and it was sort of like Yelp for treatments for doctors. So for example, a doctor could look up any diagnosis like a urinary tract infection and see all the treatments available for urinary traction, but those treatments would be ranked and reviewed by doctors, right? I like this treatment, I prefer that treatment, and then doctors could add their own treatments. And what wound up happening over time is we became the only integrative medical reference because there are plenty of pharmaceutical references out there. These are the drugs to treat a a UTI, but what are the other treatments for a UTI? And so it became the only integrative medical reference for, for physicians. Oh, interesting. And how long did you run that? It was painful four years. I was, uh, you know, doctors kind of have a God complex. And if you add that to a CEO complex, it's just a recipe for a disaster for my first business. So I was not a very good CEO. That was at a time when Silicon Valley said, don't worry about revenue model, just worry about eyeballs. And that I think was not good advice in retrospect. And I followed that advice. And so after raising, I think we did like a $3 million seed round that was spread out over like two years and then another year or so of slowly spiraling the drain until we died. And, you know, we had some exit and, you know, we're able to salvage some of the assets that we built. But, you know, the company didn't succeed. We didn't raise an A and ran out of money. But it was a great, great, great learning experience. Yeah. No, look, it really resonates with me. I had a medical device company that we raised, you know, about $6 million in Angel and had a really great perspective beginning and then it, I got to watch it kind of go all the way down the tubes and and sold the assets and went through that. So I, I very much appreciate that experience. But in hindsight, what a powerful learning experience. There's only one way to learn how to be a CEO or do a startup, and that's by jumping in and doing it. Like is a, I literally got a $3 million education that you kind of can't get anywhere else. Yeah. Now, did you start OK Caps for that or do you have... There was a series of consulting in the healthcare technology space, you know, health tech is always booming. And as a doctor who can speak tech, I was early or first employer consulting for a variety of companies until I eventually left San Francisco after having a child and ended up as an entrepreneur in residence at a company called Megafood, which was the number one premium supplement company in the States. And I was hired there to kind of look beyond five years, like what's on the horizon, what's coming. And that was for about a year. And so In that role, I just kind of learned a lot about what's going on in the supplement space and started seeing some good opportunities. Yeah, yeah. And what a great opportunity to get a a window into the future. So what was really the original inspiration for OK Capsule, the company that you're running today? So what we do is we make it possible for any brand to quickly spin up a personalized supplement company. And the reason this idea came about is because I noticed that there's a lot of good healthcare technology companies that might, say, be a DNA test or a blood test or whatever kind of demographic or biological information you could put into a system to spit out some result that'll improve the patient or consumer's well-being. 
they didn't necessarily have good revenue models, right? So you might sell a DNA test once and then sell a nutrition report on it once, and then that's kind of it. But if that nutrition report says, hey, you need vitamins A, B, C, and D based on your genetics, that could become a recurring revenue stream for this company. And the idea was if we handle everything, if we do all of the legwork and all they have to do is sell it, then that'd be an attractive offer to them. And so that was the hypothesis. We tested it, worked really well. We got a handful of companies to sign up and start making money. So then we moved the company here to Reno to take it seriously. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it, it was so cool to walk through your factory. Honestly, I, I mean, I cut my teeth in manufacturing. I interned at Motorola. And so just to walk into a clean room setting just really brought back all these memories. And just to see the connection between that and nutrition was really interesting. So so at the end of the day, the product that you have is a like a 30-day pack of personalized vitamins. Is that right? That's correct as of today. We have a variety of brands, different brands with different customers. I guess the supplement market is very fragmented from like, you know, you've got some earthy crunchy people, you've got some like hardcore performance people and everything in between. So it's really hard for any one brand to go after all those different demographics. So we are one step behind that. We enable all the different brands to sell a personalized supplement product to their specific demographic. And we just make it as simple, safe, sustainable as possible for them to do that. Yeah, that's great. So I could go to pick my favorite DNS supplement company and they're you handle the fulfillment, you handle all that. So it shows up at my door looking like, I don't think Vitagen or one of those companies, but actually behind the scenes, it's OK Capsule doing all the work. Yeah. The analogy I like to use is if you want to sell sweatshirts on the internet, you're not going to first spin up a payment processor to do that, right? That's not your business. You'll find someone behind the scenes that can process your payments so you could focus on your business, which is selling sweatshirts. So, you know, personalizing supplements, it means that I'm not sending someone a generic multivitamin bottle. I'm sending them a packet that has four or five pills that have been picked for them for some reason, but specifically for that person. And that is that we have to delay the differentiation of our product all the way to the end of the processing line. And that is uh, complex technology to do that. So that's the service that we provide for these brands. Yeah. And just as a user, you were very kind enough to give me a 30-day supply of your wellness immunity pack, which, you know, Thankfully, I've not gotten sick since I've been taking it. So thank you. It was a game changer. Getting rid of all of the plastic bottles on my shelf was amazing in and of itself. I travel not a ton, but a little bit. And so to go on the road for three days, you know, one, two, three packs, rip, take it in the backpack instead of having to pull out a Ziploc and put them all in. I mean, it's just the experience is so much better. Plus, it's always just just nice to see it personalized. It's a really great solution, honestly. It's totally game changing. Thank you. You know, the funny thing is that packs have failed on retail shelves for a while. The only company that really did it right was GNC's Mega Men packs were the only kind of like pack solution that seemed to work. But it's a perfect form factor for e-commerce. So now that everyone has a Shopify store and now that OK Capsule has a Shopify app, really anyone can spin up a supplement brand, trust our quality, and provide that level of convenience. So now is the time that consumers actually want this stuff, whereas purchasing it on the shelves, you know, five, 10 years ago didn't make sense. Totally. I can, I can totally see that. And it, even in a pack form, you don't have the specific personalization. You know, I have a vitamin D deficiency, so I have to take like 10,000 IUs of vitamin D. It's hard to get a pack that would have that without going in and doing 
some personal customization. Exactly. I think that's the real differentiator. What I realized was, you know, a doctor really is a personalization engine, right? You come to a doctor not to get a generic treatment. You come to a doctor to get a treatment that's personalized for you. And I've always wanted to scale what I could do as a physician, right? I could see a maximum of, I don't know, what, 40 patients in a week if I was giving them all an hour each. You know, how can I scale that? And I think this platform is a way to fulfill our mission, which is, you know, making proper nutrition more available to more people. I think the reality is you should get your nutrition from food, but you don't. (laughs) That's just the reality, right? So we should be supplementing. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. You should be getting it from food, but you know, how do you get the concentration like we were talking before about, you know, something to help boost your, your mental capacity with like lion's mane? I guess I could go out and buy a bunch of lion's mane mushrooms, but that's kind of hard to do. I mean, so supplements actually are additive in a way. Right. So it used to be you take supplements to avoid a deficiency, right? Like, oh, vitamin C, you need a minimum of X to avoid getting scurvy. And that's what it was for a very long time. And what we're finding out now within the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years or so, is that you could take higher doses of certain things to optimize your health. And as you just mentioned, there's this category of nootropics, and lion's mane is a mushroom that's one of them. And and nootropics help brain function in a variety of ways. They could be synaptogenic, which means they create more synapses between neurons. They could be neurogenic, which means you can repair or grow new neurons. And we're finding all kinds of different ways of combining these things for even more efficacious use. And that I just find extremely interesting, like human wellness optimization that doesn't have side effects, that helps people be healthier, happier, better immune systems, live longer, have better cognition, whatever it is. We can actually do this. And these a lot of these therapies are cheap, easy, accessible. You just kind of have to know you just have to know where to find them. Yeah, and that's so many questions that come up for me about that. I mean, you know, the difference between supplements and pharmaceuticals. Let's talk about a little bit about side effects. I mean, how do you manage the side effects when you're taking a lot of different supplements, given that, you know, there's no regulation on that? You know, you've got, a, in theory, a pharmacist might come in and say, hey, like these two things have counterindications, but that's not necessarily true in the supplement world. So a lot of supplements are compounds that are found in nature, if they weren't, they would be patentable and that would be a pharmaceutical. So you have compounds that are found in nature, which generally, and I want to stress generally, don't have adverse effects, right? Of course, you can find compounds in nature that are poisons and you don't want to take, but those typically don't get put into capsules. So the supplements that make their way into capsules are things that have been in nature and humans have been in contact with. We tend to see little there really aren't side effects. Those things don't make their way through the FDA to become supplements, right? Those things tend to become pharmaceuticals. Got it. So there is a level of oversight by the FDA, even if it's even in the supplements. Yes. If you want to make a claim for a supplement, the FDA would need to approve that claim. It's an expensive, long process, but it's sometimes worth it. There is oversight over manufacturing, how do you deal with the other side of it, the snake oil side? You brought that up before. Like, how do you know that if I'm going to take St. John's Word, it's actually going to be a mood lifter versus a placebo? Or how does someone on the on the consumer side figure that out? That's a very good question. And the answer resides in trust of the brand. And I think more and more consumers these days 
want to trust the brands that they're purchasing. All the market research is showing that. There isn't necessarily a good way to just walk into Whole Foods and just look at the shelf and know which brand you can trust. One of the things I like about our model is that we can demonstrate that we source the best everything from the best everywhere, where our supply chain is transparent, our packaging is eco-friendly. So all that sort of engenders trust. And then the brands that work on our platform can leverage everything that we've done to engender trust with with their consumers. Yeah, which is interesting. Even if you had a fly-by-night brand that, you know, just spun up on Shopify and use your stuff, at least you guys have the floor of high quality. You don't want to work with fly-by-night companies either. But I guess what I'm saying is like there's multiple levels of of protection in that model. Exactly. And that's our mission, right? To make the best supplementation, the best nutrition available to more people. And it doesn't necessarily matter which brand is doing it. If they're getting their product from us, we know that the end consumer is getting a, a high quality product and what's on the label is actually what's in the pill. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think the, are the limitations of supplementation? I mean, are there, you know, you know, better living through chemistry, you know, if I could, am I going to live longer, healthier, but where, what do you think are the limitations of supplementation? I think there's a risk when people think that a supplement is a replacement for a needed pharmaceutical. Sometimes you need drugs. They're good. They work. I think they're overused. But sometimes you find uh, patients or consumers who will try a whole bunch of, quote, alternative things when what they really need is a pharmaceutical. And I, and I think that could be dangerous. And that's where like a healthcare professional can should really guide yeah. the customer. What are some of the things that you're maybe most excited about in the supplement world. I mean, are you seeing, I'm sure you're up on the latest research. I mean, it, I think, you know, like Revesterol was really popular all of a sudden. They said, you know, this is going to be the anti-aging cure-all. And then, of course, I think it, it's the reality of it's a little bit different. But what are some of the things that you're most excited about that you're seeing coming down the pipe? I think the adoption of supplements broadly in the wake of COVID for immune support is very interesting. We have more consumers to this category than ever before, which is interesting. People have nutritional deficiencies. I don't I can't remember the stats, but it's something like one in seven people have a nutritional deficiency. Don't quote me on that, but it's something like that, right? So it could be just a vitamin D deficiency. And that's important especially because we know vitamin D helps protect against the symptoms of COVID. And I want to be clear, it doesn't help prevent you from getting COVID. It sure. helps mitigate the symptoms of COVID so you hopefully don't die from it, right? And there's a host of supplements that help your immune system in that way. And there's great research on quercetin and acetylcysteine, vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin C. You know, all of these things can help with viral respiratory infections. So I'm very excited at the potential for supplements to help people not die from COVID. Yeah, that's great, which is a great thing. I mean, I, I just saw that there's a Pfizer has a new pill, which is probably a after you get COVID, it helps. But anything you can do on the prevention side, it does feel like our medical system tends to be more focused on treating something after you've got it instead of preventing it. The medical system tends to do this. And again, I'm going to generalize, but it's like you go into the doctor and you get your cholesterol checked and they say like, okay, your cholesterol is here. And then you go back six months and say, hey, it's going up a little bit. And six months later, it's going up a little more. And then six months later, hey, it's time for Lipitor. What about the last year and a half? Why didn't I get on some sort of preventative scheme? And, you know, there's a host of reasons why. But in my opinion, 
there's a handful of supplements if you just started taking every day would probably prevent the need for Lipitor later. But Lipitor is one of the best blockbuster drugs of all time. So it's hard to compete against that. Yeah, it does feel like there's some, well, there's some disincentives around wellness based on pharmaceutical companies and the way that they work. And I, and I have no particular beef about pharmaceutical companies, but it does seem like our incentives aren't always aligned. Exactly. It's interesting. So what do you think about the nootropics and some of these other, you know, there's a local company that is going down this path where they're adding some terpenes and cannabinoids to sort of activate different supplements. And what do you, what do you think about kind of the things that are on the cutting edge? I think it's exactly that cutting edge. It's very interesting. It appears to be safe without having 10 years of data. We don't know if it's safe, but it appears that a lot of these things are safe and effective and more people should probably be using them, especially if you have, say, cognitive decline in your family history. Yeah. I just personally started taking them. I'm 40 years old now. I'm noticing, you know, I'm not as sharp as I used to be and started taking a handful of nootropics and I'm noticing pretty significant effects. I'm, that's not a scientific study. It's my own personal observation, but I'm a fan. Yeah, I can't tell if I'm having cognitive decline or not, so I don't know if that's good or bad. I probably am. You'll know when it happens. <laughs> okay. I probably am. I'm sure I'm, I'm slower than I was before, but one of my favorite products is this something called Magic Mind. It's a drink that really replaced coffee. And I was super skeptical, but I love it. I take it every day. It, it keeps me focused. I, you know, I was pretty sensitive to caffeine, so I don't have any of the drops of it. I, it really makes a difference. I, and I was, like I said, I was pretty skeptical, but you know, if it works, it works. Caffeine is a drug. It's probably one of the most, well, next to sugar, probably one of the most popular drugs in the world. And I too have quit coffee recently and noticed really profound changes that I was not expecting. Yeah. Did you listen to Michael Pollan's book on, you know, where he specifically talks about the caffeine and how it's tied to our circadian rhythm and all of that? It was really fascinating. Yeah. I actually just started reading it and I think I made it through the, the opioid part and I'm about to start the caffeine part. The caffeine part's really interesting and, you know, it begs some interesting questions about co-evolution of plants, but you'll enjoy it when you get there. When you interview Michael Pollan, can you invite me to just sit in the audience? That would be a good day for Doug that if, I, if I could make that happen. Actually, it's funny. He actually lived next to a friend of mine in Berkeley. So, you know, I, I might be able to get in there, but I, I think, you know, we'll see. We'll get there. So kind of shifting gears a little bit, where did OK Capsule start and then how did you end up in Reno? Good question. I live in Mexico half the year and I am an entrepreneur and can't help myself from starting companies. And the idea for OK Capsule had been, I guess, fermenting to embody Michael Pollan here. The idea had been percolating there in my mind. And then I was working on a pitch deck for it. And one day a good friend of mine called me and said, hey, I just quit my company. I just quit my job. We should start a company together. I said, interesting. Let me tell you this idea I'm working on. And it turns out about five years ago, he had a similar idea. So he had already done the research on these packaging machines. And it was just one of those situations where the universe was lining it up. Like the perfect CTO co-founder became available. He already knew and loved the idea. And the conversation really went like, hey, we should start a company. Hey, this is what I'm doing. Great, let's do it. And the next day we were doing it. Wow. Yeah. And we're tech guys he and I. And at some point, someone on our team said, you know, guys, we need a facility. Like we're actually going to have to start figuring out where we're going to put these machines. 
We actually ordered our first packaging machine before we had an address where it would be delivered. We signed our first client before any of that, right? So it was it was a lot of fake it till you make it. And one of our early investors was the CEO of a supplement contract manufacturer in New Jersey, and they offered us, I think it was 200 or 400 square feet on their floor, and we set up in New Jersey. And then next week, COVID hit. So we plugged in all of our machines across the country in New Jersey as just our MVP, just to see if this thing will work. COVID hit, and then my co-founder wound up having to couldn't fly there. So we were he was remote training people on the floor how to get these machines set up. But it worked. We operated out of there for maybe six months to a year. And during that time, we were looking for a place to create a home. We looked in the Bay Area where my co-founder lives. He lives in Marin. And everything was just too expensive. Labor was too expensive. Taxes were too expensive. I mean, all the reasons, right? So we looked at a variety of places like Austin or Houston or whatever. But we settled on Reno because it had a cool vibe, cool culture. I'm here once a year for Burning Man anyway. My co-founder can drive here instead of having to fly somewhere. So it all, it all just lined up that Reno was like, it was a cool place to start this company. Yeah, it's great. I love how serendipity brought you together and how serendipity brought you to Reno. I, I actually think so much of entrepreneurship is being open to serendipity. Yeah, it's great to hear that we had the right stuff for you. You know, Just in terms of Burning Man, this is one of those soft things around Reno that I keep telling Bernie Mann has brought a lot of people to Reno. I mean, I, I'm I'm still kind of convinced, well, I'm still convinced that Tesla's Gigafactory is here because of Burning Man. I mean, I think Elon had a lot of experiences out it. They really got a feel for Nevada. I mean, there may be a lot of other reasons and, you know, we were involved in some of it, but at the end of the day, Burning Man has been, made a big impact on the community. It did for us. It was definitely a I'm here once a year anyway, and I have stuff here, so it was nice to kind of solidify that. Yeah, well, I definitely want to ask you about that, but a couple other questions. So you and your co-founder, I mean, I just love the, you know, you were talking about faking it till you make it. So one of the things you said before is in your first company, you really had this personal challenge of being a doctor and a CEO in those complexes, and that was really complicated for you. You know, what shifted for you? Like, how did you, what did you learn from that experience, and how have you taken that learning into this new company? I learned that I should hire people that are better than me and listen to them. When I started share practice, I would say things like, just put a button there that does this. And they're like, okay, that's six weeks worth of work. And I just didn't understand, right? It's like, but just, just do it. Just make it happen. And now I understand that you want to hire really good people, get very clear with a vision and a strategy that they can align behind, and then really manage people effectively. And a first-time CEO, is no, I had no experience managing. And as a doctor, I have no experience managing. People just tend to do what I say, right? So I really had to learn how to manage. And the sort of management style that I came to really love is called conscious leadership. Mm -hmm. Conscious leadership was introduced to me from the CEO at Megafood. I saw conscious leadership in action at Megafood. And that was a very culture-driven, mission-driven company, and I saw the employees engaging in a way that I'd kind of never seen before and was just really struck by it. So after I started OK Capsule, I talked to Robert, who was no longer the CEO at Megafood, and, and he's been coaching us in unconscious leadership. And if I could summarize it, I would just say it's 
a way of allowing people to have their emotions present at work and a vernacular or vocabulary of easily being able to discuss those topics in a way that's co-creative and constructive in a work environment. An example is there's this concept of like of the line and I'm either above the line or below the line and above the line I'm feeling creative and energized and excited and below the line I might be feeling anxiety or fear or some of those I guess quote negative emotions and the concept is this is just one of many but the concept is you know there's no solutions below the line so if we're all in a meeting and someone's getting triggered they can just simply say like hey I'm below the line right now and we all know like great so-and-so is not in a position to solution right now. They're not feeling creative, right? So it's just a great way for everyone to feel comfortable like expressing what's going on for them and create an, a co-creative environment. Yeah, no, I totally resonate with that. It, I mean, what I'm hearing you say is you're building a really safe container and you have some shared language that allows people to express themselves and then everybody else kind of knows how to react to that, which is definitely... Uh, next generation of leadership. I, I know I have this book on my counter. I have not read it yet, but did this come out of conscious capitalism or is this completely a different thing? I mean, I don't know. Okay. How do you think about like stakeholders capitalism in your company? I mean, you have a lot of different stakeholders, right? You have the investors and your employees and the, the planet and all of those things feel to me like they're probably well integrated, even if they're not explicit. We spend a lot of time once a quarter reviewing our playbook. And our playbook has the, you know, why do we exist? What's our mission? What are we trying to accomplish? And we consider our employees, consumers, and the planet to be stakeholders. We're very committed to removing plastic from the wellness supply chain. I don't know how many plastic bottles get shipped every year with pills in them, but I'm sure it's a lot. And I know that every order we ship saves about 200 grams of plastic. And that alone is one of many things that everyone on my team from our investors, current and future investors know about us. Like this is something we care about and we pay a little bit more for compostable packaging. And so our cogs are, you know, could be a little better if we got rid of that, but nobody's asking us to change. Everybody who's involved knows what our mission is. Which is great. I mean, I think you really have to be values driven and it helps. I mean, in my experience, you know, we have very clearly defined core values in our team. And it just becomes the filter criteria for hiring, who you work with, all of those things. I feel very strongly about values-driven organizations. I didn't understand the value of a culture until I saw it and then found myself at the helm of a great culture. And one day I just realized, oh, my God, we have something so precious here. Even when it was like, you know, when the team, when there's just five to ten of us, we saw it and we said, wow, we're going to double, we're going to double again, we're going to double again. How do we maintain this magic that we have? And that's when we got serious about conscious leadership and really training people in a way to interact. And I think we're at about 25 people now. We just had an audit yesterday from the largest ingredient supplier in the world. They're going to partner with us. And one thing they said over and over and over again was how blown away they were with the culture. And when I'm in the forest, I don't necessarily see how special it is. But to get that sort of outside validation just yesterday was really powerful for me and my team to hear. Well, congratulations I mean, on landing that. And obviously, it's a testament to your hard work and your co-founder. And what I've seen looking at a lot of different entrepreneurial companies is you know, the culture exudes out of the co-founders. I mean, it comes from your values and then you basically learn to codify that in the company. The challenge that I've seen is how do you then 
scale that. And I think that's at 25, it's that's one challenge. Getting it to 100 is another challenge. Getting it to 1,000 is a whole other challenge. But I have no doubt. You're a very intentional human, and I'm and I'm really excited to see you where that goes. And I'd love to learn more about, you know, what you've learned in conscious leadership. Sounds like you've had some really good coaching. What are some of the other things that you've, some of the nuggets that you've learned along your journey? There's a concept of taking 100% responsibility, no more, no less. So if you take more than 100% responsibility for something, you're kind of like taking on this hero persona. If you take less than 100% responsibility, you're taking on this victim persona. But if I were like, hey, Doug, you know, you didn't do that thing I asked for. I could be frustrated with you, but if I try to figure out what's my 100% responsibility in this situation, I would probably realize that I could have communicated it more clearly with you. So instead of blaming you for not doing the thing I wanted, I would look to myself and say, what's my 100% responsibility here and how can I improve this for the next time? And that alone has been transformational for me and my co-founder whenever we find some you know some normal conflict or something happens we're able to say like what's your 100% responsibility in that situation that happened and we could be like oh yeah i see how i'm an idiot and i should have done this better you know so it's just yeah, it's yeah. really it's a really nice playful way to move forward effectively yeah no i i love that it's a great concept i mean you seem like a pretty self-aware guy do you think that what are some of the practices you do to to be able to even hear that Right. I mean, I can see sometimes people would be too defensive or too self-interested to even be able to accept that they have 100% participation. I'm smiling right now because every, I think, other Thursday we do, the whole team gets together for what we call a sip and learn. So, you know, grab a beer or something and someone will teach something. And the last two times was my mentor, Robert, teaching my whole team about conscious leadership. And I had a couple of weeks ago some a whole lot of frustrating things just kind of happening all at once. And I was kind of pretty below the line for like a week. And I got the feedback after one of these conscious leadership sip and learns. Someone said to someone which got back to my chief of staff, which got back to me, which was, wow, conscious leadership's great. Do you think Andrew would learn it? And when I heard that, you know, I realized like, okay, I... I still have work to do. You know, I've been practicing this stuff for a couple of years now, but it's hard to take feedback that is hard to hear. Yeah. But I'm committed to hearing that feedback because I'm committed to improving. Well, you're a recovering physician too. So come on now. Like you got to give yourself a little bit of grace. It's tough. You know, my brother and, you know, my sister-in-law, I know a lot of doctors and they're wonderful people, but there's definitely, I think the nature of that profession either brings people with a certain mindset in, or it just trains you in a certain way. I, you know, and I can speak to that. I'm a recovering engineer. And so like there's its own set of challenges associated with that as well. Yeah. I'm sorry for your wife. <laughs> Actually, I think she wants me to be more engineer-like. I don't know. I think I maybe have swung too far the other direction. I don't get enough of the, the tasks that I should done at home. So that, what are some of the other cultural things that you do to, or things in your company that kind of build culture? Leading by example, showing vulnerability. I mean, these are the things that I struggle with personally is, you know, being vulnerable in front of a group. And what I'm learning just right now is that this is part of our culture that we want to embody and I need to be an example of that. So I would say being an example of the things that we want in our culture, despite them being hard for me in my position, is my work. I could just say that, like an example is, you know, as a CEO, 
I never really know if my employees are being genuine with me or not because for whatever reason I might be intimidating or I have direct language sometimes. So it's hard for me to connect with employees because I don't know if there's like we're having genuine human to human dialogue. And also when I was in the doctor persona, there's a bit of that too, right? It's like, here's Dr. Brandeis, you're the patient, you're going to do what I say, right? So that's some of my work, just getting better at showing my more human side, being vulnerable and, you know, come what may. Yeah. Well, I, well, first of all, I really appreciate you being vulnerable on our podcast. I mean, and sharing that, I think that's, a, you know, I work with some leaders and I think that's a hugely powerful skill. And like what I see is there's this global battle for talent and the companies that create the best working environments will win in that way. And I think what we really want personally is just to be able to be our fully authentic selves and to be at a place where we can express that and do good work. And so if you build a you know, container like you have, that will just bring in good people and you're giving them opportunity to, to be them, their best selves. And through example, which also means, you know, being vulnerable, realizing that you have work to do. Like, I think that's it's the best you can do. So I think you're on it. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited. I, I think especially in what I've noticed in Reno is kind of this evolution of companies and you have and obviously there's been a big shift because of COVID where it's it tends to be more of a, you know, quote unquote employee market. But the, I think the real reality is, is people's ideas around work have shifted. And so historically we had in Reno companies that were more employer centric and they've had to shift in a changing landscape. Like when, when Reno, people like to live here, but the job opportunities weren't that great, you would make these trade-offs. And again, not necessarily say that companies would take advantage of that, but they just didn't have to adapt. In a hyper-competitive work environment, people are being forced to adapt. And I think the companies that create the best cultures are winning. And we're seeing this, you know, I, I have a macro view from economic development, and I can tell you that I'm seeing this play out all over the place. For me, it's hard to see that forest through the trees when I'm down in those weeds. And that was a lesson that I had to learn. We've we've been very fortunate to hire and retain good people, but it took me a minute to understand the truth in what you just said. And, I, you know, I, it's probably just a lack of my own experience. But I think that is extremely important for entrepreneurs, founders, businesses these days. Well, it's, you know, as an as an entrepreneur, I mean, you everybody has got a particular skill set, like going from zero to one, one to 10, 10 to 100 or whatever. But, you know, you have to develop as a leader along the way. It's like you're building the mountain under, underneath you as you're climbing. That is not an easy thing to do. And I'm just really happy that you have a coach and support and other, other things to support you. This is actually why I got involved in entrepreneurs organization early on and why a lot of people get drawn to that just because like being around other peers, other entrepreneurs that really know what the challenges are can be really helpful because it is sort of tough to talk to your spouse and you can't talk to your employees about it. Yeah, it's lonely at the top, right? But at least there's enough of us here at the top where we can find each other and support each other. Yeah, well, I, I'm very excited about even more excited about your company. I had this, when I walked in, I had this real vibe of it. So kind of shifting gears again, let's talk a little bit about Burning Man. How did you get connected to the Burning Man community? When I lived in San Francisco, a friend of mine dragged me there. And I was there for about a minute before I called my wife back in San Francisco. I was like, you just get out here. <laughs> you got to get out here. And we had like an amazing time and it just became kind of our family religion, I guess. I love 
putting on a completely different persona for a week and going to upside down land where nothing is what you'd expect. But everyone I run into is an incredible and unique person that I don't get that concentration of interesting people anywhere else. But on the playa, pretty much anywhere I turn, I run into someone who blows my mind. And yeah. It's not sustainable. I couldn't live there all year round. But that one week a year has become sort of my like religious pilgrimage. Yeah, interesting. I can totally see that. And even, you know, to be able to go to, I love it, upside down land and kind of walk around there, you know that it's possible and you can bring some element of that back into the real world and integrate it in a way that feels real without having to live it all the time. Yeah, my community where I live in Mexico is mostly my Burning Man camp. And these have become some of my favorite people. One of them, I had hired a few friends from my camp, but there's only one of them still around. And he's, you know, my creative thought partner at the company. And it's because we we have this, we met on the playa. We have this history yeah. of just being in a, in a very collaborative, creative space together. Yeah, interesting. So how did you end up in Mexico? Like, how did you find this amazing town? I'm going to... Uh, abbreviate the story because it's very long. The short of it is my wife and I met in India. She's French Canadian. She did not speak English. I don't speak French. We decided to get married right away. We didn't want to get married in either of our countries because we knew how ridiculous it was. So we wanted to elope somewhere. And when we were in India, we met this Mexican couple who we hit it off with. And they saw the whole thing unfold. And when we called them a couple weeks later and said, hey, we want to get married. You're kind of the only people we want at our wedding. We're going to come to Mexico and get married. They said, great, I know just the place. And we flew to Mexico City. They drove us to this town called San Miguel de Allende. We got married there. And that was it. I didn't even know what the town was called. Years later, I've spent time every summer at a Zen center in Ithaca, New York. I have like a Zen meditation practice. And there were some folks there from this small town in Mexico that we hit it off with, and they invited us to come visit them. We did. And we were like, hey, this town looks familiar. I think this is where we got married. Then we wound up meeting a bunch of burners down there, got invited to camp with them. We had already been going to Burning Man, but we met these burners and then have been visiting San Miguel. And then one time we just visited and never left. I love it. I wish the listeners could see how big of a smile I have on my face. I love this story. I love the fact that you met your now wife and you didn't speak the same language and immediately got married. I mean, that speaks to love in a different form. Or insanity. But the, you know, Either way, whatever. So we've been married 11 years now, I think. We have a six-year-old. Like, we're, it's great. Like, it's great. That sort of ability to just, when I recognize something as right, I just can't help but throw like all my weight behind it and I think that's the entrepreneur spirit right like you see something that just makes sense to you and I knew that us getting married wouldn't make sense to my parents or any of my we didn't tell anyone because I knew it didn't make sense to anyone but I knew that it made sense to me and in business sometimes I just find myself saying guys I know this doesn't make sense to you but this is it you know I mean, really being able to trust your intuition as an entrepreneur is is a key skill. You know, I when I was in the medical device business, I had many of times where I would people would tell me that's not going to be a thing. And even though commercially we had some challenges, like it was obviously a need, and we could just 
I just was driven by that often. I think one of the things I've noticed is, you know, when it doesn't go your way, you kind of like, at least for me, I sort of lost a little bit of my trust in my intuition. And so, so my question to you is, have you ever lost that trust and how you got it back? Or how do you cultivate that, that inner trust? That is a very good question. I think part of the answer is not being afraid to fail. I view failure as, you know, an opportunity to learn and I want to do it as quick as possible. I've also come to really understand the feeling. I mean, it's the same sense I got when Ethereum was at $10 and I was like, I think I need to buy some of this. You know, you just, there's that sense and I try to attune to it. I think what's hard isn't getting burned by it. I think what's hard is convincing those around you that it's the right move despite a lack of data, despite it being against the flow. You know, I think that's the challenge for me. Yeah, no, I think it's very well said. And, you know, unfortunately, I didn't hold any Bitcoin when it was 100, when I had some. That's a whole other thing. So this is actually a very, you know, resonant thing for me. Like, how do you trust one's intuition around these things? And I totally resonate with you said about not being afraid to fail and recognizing it's a lesson. Easier said than done in my personal experience, but I completely agree with you. So I heard someone once say that luck is the ability to recognize opportunity. And I've been very lucky. And I think it's because I have this mind that can always spot the opportunity. What I've learned since then, and this just works for me, but it seems like the universe, whatever, has a way of communicating. And that way of communicating, what I've noticed is if you see the same signal often in a short time period, it's usually an indication of the direction you should head. And so even back when we were starting OK Capsule, what I didn't mention before was on the very same day that my co-founder called me and said we should start a company, I'm not exaggerating. An hour after that call, someone else from our early team called and said, hey, we should start a company. And then an hour after that, someone else called and said, hey, are you doing anything? I want to I do a company with you. I'm not kidding. In one day, three hours, three people. And that, to me, is the universe speaking and saying, like, hey, this is the direction you should head. When I see those things, and, and we just experienced one of those recently with a new campaign that we're doing, all of these things just sort of align, converge. And if you just recognize that, that to me is a pretty clear indication that that's the direction to head. I couldn't agree with you more. I, again, my, I'm smiling huge because I, and I think about it as like when the universe puts wind underneath your sails, it's like you're out there trying something and all of a sudden it just, things just start aligning for you. Yeah. But to be able to pay attention to that, and I think it's hard to pay attention to that if you're blinded by fear or doubt or other things, it's harder to, to recognize those signals. I agree, 100%. I mean, it's great when you get four calls in a row. It's pretty hard to <laughs> deny that one, but you could, you know. That's... Oh, you could talk yourself out of anything. Totally. So how long have you been a Zen practitioner? I guess I learned about it in like 2008-ish. Yeah. Yeah. And are you? do you have a, a daily practice? Not so much these days, but I recognize the difference between me and my active mind and can separate myself from that as needed but sure meditation is very helpful you know sometimes i'm just i need to ground settle whatever and i can you know pop a squat sit in a whatever posture and calm myself down you know in 
15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Have you tried other forms like Vipassana or? No, I just kind of hit Zen and it made sense. I like Zen because it just strips away all adornments and it's just, yeah. you know, hardcore. You just sit there. What about any, have you looked into the non-dual like Zogen or Avaita Vedantan? Or I've done nothing else. I just, this is one thing that just, it hit, it stuck. I love my teacher that I have at this place. I have a, I have a nice family out there and it's just the style I know. What I'm starting to learn about you, Andrew, is that when you see things, you know that they're right for you and they click immediately, which is pretty remarkable, honestly. I think I tend to be more of a seeker of lots of different things. And so trying to discern which ones are more resonant with me is a little bit more of a challenge. I appreciate the fact that you have such clarity. I see that it would appear that way and I (laughs) might agree with you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't meet that many people that, you know, meet their wife, they don't speak the same language and then get married immediately. So, I mean, what a what a testament to you too. Yeah, I just, I'm really enjoying this conversation. I think that, you know, I really appreciate you as a leader. I'm really excited to hear about, you know, your company. I can totally see the opportunity. I mean, I, you know, you, I'm an immediate convert. I, I, I love the product that you sent me and I'm just, yeah, I'm just really glad that you're here in Reno. I think one of our core values is raising the bar. And by my estimation, you and your company are absolutely raising the bar in, in Reno. That is a very, that's very nice feedback to hear. It's more than a thank you. It's a very nice validation. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I, you know, when I walked in the company, I I was like, there's something different about this. And I, you know, as anybody knows me, I have kind of a big mouth. So I'll just go around and be like, you got to talk to this guy's OK Capsule. This is great. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. And we need that. We don't, I don't really know anyone in Reno. I'm I'm trying to, I want to build a network here. So all the intros you've made so far have been very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Well, I just appreciate your time. I know you've got a lot going on. You've got to head back to Mexico. I'm super envious, but thank you for coming on the show. And I look forward to our next uh, conversation. Thanks. Me too. Thanks, Doug. 